0: at life through our own eyes and through our own set of experiences. When we look through other people's experiences, we start seeing things differently. What if we did that with God? What if we looked at the church in the way God looks at the church? What if we looked at life, our decisions, the way we think about things, the way God looked at them? I want to ask you today to look with me at the church through the eyes of God and ask what He wants us to be. I have to make a confession to you today, not a big confession, just a little confession. But the little confession is when I started this back in the summer of getting ready for these urgent words for urgent times, I envision this as dealing with the big external problems of the day. And uh, as we all know, uh, society, America, we have some huge external problems. But the more I spent time in the Word of God... God's Word speaks not to the world, but to the church. When Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, he's writing to the church. He's not writing to the huge pagan population of Corinth. In the Old Testament, when the prophets preached, who did they preach to? To the people of Israel. Not the outsiders, but the insiders, not the pagans, but by the people who were called by the name of God. So I've kind of pivoted because I want us to to follow Scripture. I want us to work according to God's plan and God's way. And God speaks to the church. And I want us to look today at how God sees the church. I want, I want us to look at, at the church through the eyes of God. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3, through all the way through about chapter 6, There's this theme, God looking at the church, God looking at you and me. And remember who the church is. There's not a they there, it's a me, it's an us. I am the church, you are the church. There is no they, it's just us and what God wants us to do. So I'm going to read some, chapter, uh, some verses in, in chapter 3 and chapter 5 and let you see, and we'll talk about how God sees the church. I'm going to begin reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, two, ch- two verses before, before you'll see it on the screen. But listen to this. Paul has already talked about the church being a field, And then he says this, by the grace of God, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ. And now you can follow along with me. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, the day of judgment, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, meaning he won't get a reward, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple." Continuing in the same thought and in the same vein, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2 are sobering verses. You just have to take a deep breath. It is He is speaking to the church. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, I think that means stepmother, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this it, it goes on to talk about that and about a year ago two years ago on a wednesday night i did a verse by verse bible study of first and second corinthians and we dealt with this in depth it continues in verse 9 i wrote to you in my letter paul talked about writing several letters to the church at corinth which apparently have been put together in these two Letters. One time he talked about a painful letter. I can't imagine that chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 were not part of that painful letter. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world, the outsiders who don't know God, who are lost, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler, do not even eat with such people. And then, listen to the way he puts this. Paul is to the point and right on. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Lost people are going to act like lost people, is what he's saying. Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those Outside, And then he quotes from the Old Testament, expel the wicked person from among you. So how should we see God's church? And how should we see it through God's eyes? And what should we see? Three things. Number one, it's God's church and we're to take care of it. It matters to him. It is important to him. How you live in the church, how you live as a part of the church, matters to God, and we must be a people who put God first in everything and let him show us his way. Paul gives us in this passage, Three pictures of the church, metaphors as you will. Three pictures of the church of what it is. It, it's first of all, it's God's field. By the way, there's several of these in Scripture and not one is the one. The church is so significant, so meaningful. There's such depth and meaning to the church that it can't be given in one's way. In just one way. The first one that we see here is that it is God's field and that we are to work this field that God has given us. There was a time in my life I became a pastor when I was 18. There was a time in my life I assumed that was the only picture of the church. It's a field. I went to a small church in a large community small number of people, large place, a lot of crops, a lot of farmland, and it was our church field. And the leaders of that church, there weren't many, and I sought to work the field. In other words, what does Paul say? Paul says the church is a field, and he talks about Corinth. There was no church at Corinth. As far as we know, there weren't even any Christians at Corinth when Paul got there. So Paul says, I came upon God's field, and I put seeds in the field. And then I left, and there was a man who came behind me. His name was Apollos, a gifted preacher, and he watered the seeds. I planted Apollos watered, but God made it grow. What a beautiful picture of how the work of ministry is done. There's not one person and only one person, but it's many persons. And so now we are a large church, a large diverse church. Our church field is very big because here's the way I define it. Wherever you live, that's our church field. Whoever you, Wherever you work, that's your church field. Wherever we visit, that's our church field. We are to plant and we are to water and we are to seek that God would bring the, the growth that would come from it. That's a beautiful picture. It's a, an appropriate picture of how we work and how everything works together but there's a second picture of the church and that is the church is a building but don't get it wrong in your mind it's not this building but it's this building we we are God's building God is building us and we are help helping to build his building So what do you have to have to build? You have to have a foundation. And here's what we know. If you don't have a good foundation, you do not have a good building. If you don't have a sound foundation, you don't have a sound building. Eventually, something's going to have to be done. So the foundation of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a great hymn. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ The Lord, and that's what Paul says. He's the foundation. Paul's not the foundation. Apollos, Simon, Peter, none of these are the foundation. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. And then we come along, and we get to build on it. And you should not think of this, that Waylon gets to build on it, meaning Waylon only gets to build on it. I do get to build on it, but like you get to build on it. Now, some of you have been around long enough to have heard me say, on the day when we're all judged and we will all stand before the judge. On the day that we are judged, I simply cannot imagine that the first question asked of me is, Waylon, what did you do with the church I gave you to lead? But I want to extend that to you because you are building as well. And Paul gives us two kinds of materials that are used. The first one is those materials that endure, gold, silver, costly stones. Those things endure. The second group is wood, hay, and stubble. And those things, what's would, pretty good, but those things don't endure. And everything we do is going to be tested, going to be tested by fire. Everything. And we will know about what we have produced it is at this way and at the end of chapter 3 that that paul tells us some very important things we need to understand verse chapter 3 verse 13 their work will be shown for what it is because the day It's capitalized in the translation we're reading from. The day of God, the day of judgment, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And at this point, you need to realize you have a part in this, and that day will come, and that we're all doing that. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Oh, that's good. But if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, meaning there won't be any reward but yet will be saved. And the word for saved means exactly what you and I usually talk about. When when I trusted Christ, I was saved. His work, his work will suffer. His reward will be lost, but he will be saved. In other words, his salvation will not be taken from him. But listen to this, the end of verse 15, but Paul says, it'll be like you're covering your eyes running out through the flames even though only as one escaping through the flames. God sees the church as a building that we are building on. And so when I say that all of us must be servants, all of us must be ministers, all of us must have a ministry to do, do you realize why that's important? It's important because God tells us to do that, but it's also important for the day of judgment. And so what I would like to say is that all of us need to be asking, okay, God, where's my ministry? What do you want me to do? You know me. You know how you made me. You know what my gifts are. You know what I can do and I can't do. Show me that ministry, and then look at that. And in the days to come, we're going to talk a lot about ministry and about serving, about finding a place of ministry, and we're going to talk about building on the foundation that God has laid in Jesus Christ the Lord. But there's a third picture of the church here, and that is of God's temple and verses 16 or seven and 17 are widely misunderstood, and I would say widely misinterpreted. And we miss the point of it. So I'm not going to talk about the misinterpretations. I'm going to talk about the one that we should have of this. Don't you know that you yourselves... Uh, that's This translation is helping us understand that the word you in the Greek text is plural. Don't you know that you are God's temple? Now, in chapter 6, we're going to look at it in just a moment. In chapter 6, there's another verse that talks about that we are the temple of God's Spirit. And so he's talking about one, but it is very clear from the Greek text, the only way that you can talk about the Bible, that, that here he's talking about the church as a whole. There he's talking about individuals. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And the word for temple is very significant and important here. When the Jews about 200 B.C., translated the Old Testament, what you and I have, that kind of tells you that it was in existence by the time of Jesus, well-known, well-preserved, well-used, that when they interpreted the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, into Greek, when they excuse me, when they translated it into Greek, they had to use the word temple a lot of times. So, what? And when they used, talked about the Holy of Holies, the place of God's dwelling, where the Ark of the Covenant was, they used the same Greek word that Paul used right here. Don't you know that the church is the dwelling place of God? Don't you know that God is present right now with his people? I think you see, I think you understand what that means. Then, man, I can't be lazy in church. I can't have my to-do list for tomorrow. God is here. God is working. God is speaking. God God is here. He is in our midst. Don't you know that you are God's temple? That his presence is here with us and that God's spirit dwells in the midst of his church, his people. Now, verse 17 is where we run into questions. If anyone destroy God's temple, and here he's not talking about this temple of the Holy Spirit right here. He's not talking about this temple. If anyone destroys God's temple, now he's talking about this temple, the church. Now, that leads us... Remember I told you a few weeks ago about the man in my home church who said that under no circumstances would he support the work of the church. Hmm. Do you see what this says? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, not a building, but a dwelling place for God to dwell among his people. And to live for him. That's what God wants. God wants to be right in the middle of his people and he wants his people to be singing praises and reading scripture and praying and giving and serving and going out and making him known. This is what God wants to do. This is is what matters to God. So it's God's church and we must take care of it. No wonder Paul said, I've heard that there's divisions among you at Corinth, and I partly believe it because this is what I hear. Maybe you want to say, why is Paul so upset about it? Well, verse 16 and 17, and the previous verses tell you why God is Paul is so upset and why this is so significant. So, it's God's church. How do we see the church through God's eyes? It's God's Church, and we must care about it, and we must understand it is special to be the church. Second way we see the church through God's eyes is that we see who God is. We see that God is holy, and he wants us To be holy. Now, what does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart for God's purpose. It means we carry out His will. It means we live according to His way in the world. We live according to His will. We carry out His purpose. We seek to be like Jesus. I've tried to say to you, here's the goal. Here's the goal we have, the goal of the church. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be as he is. I want to think. I want to act. I want to react. I want everything to be as Jesus is. This is the goal of the church. Be ho- God is holy, and God wants us to be holy. So now you might say, why does Paul make such a big deal about the immorality in the church because God is holy and because God wants us to be holy. My definition of holiness is this. It's doing everything that God wants and nothing that he doesn't want. God calls us to holiness and you know, I know, we all know, man, we're struggling in America with morality and immorality. We know we're struggling. It's nothing new, though. It was in the church at Corinth. What does God, what does God say through Paul the Apostle? He t- says, deal with this. How do we deal with it? Well, the first thing, the first line of defense is we look at our own lives and we seek God's way and God's will in our lives. God, let me do everything that pleases you. And God, put up protection around me. And God, help me to put up protection that would, would make me pleasing to you in all that I do. The thing with Paul was this. We're we're trying to preach the gospel to pagan people. And pagan people don't do what is done among the members of the church in Corinth. Even Rome, with all of its immorality in Rome, had every perversion that you can name. And they, what did they do? They flaunted it. They encouraged it. They sought to force it on other people. They trained their children in all of the perversion and all of the immorality. No wonder Paul had to talk about this. What does God want? God wants us to be holy as He is holy. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, flee, boy, that makes sense, doesn't it? Flee from sexual immorality. Run from it like you would from a tiger, a lion, a bear, a pistol, a knife. Flee immorality. And then he tells us why this is so significant. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. Lost people will say, why are Christians so concerned about this? Well, look at these verses. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. And here's where this other verse about the temple of the Holy Spirit comes in. Now he's talking about you individually. Don't you know that... You, singular, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you. We've talked about recently when a person comes to faith in Christ. How does that work? Uh, Well, God draws you, God leads you, and you respond to him in faith. We, we talk about it many different ways because there's such depth to being saved. So we talk about accepting Christ. We talked about trusting Christ. We talk about repenting of our sins because that's certainly a part of it. We talk about being born again. We talk about being saved. All of those things and, and you, so you've come to faith in Christ, you trust Him, you confess Him as your Lord and Savior. What happens? God comes to dwell in you through the third person of the Holy Trinity, His Spirit. He comes to dwell in you. Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You ever thought about if you were a slave, how much would you be sold for? I hope you've never considered that. I hope you've never thought about it. But what would you say? How would you handle that? What are you worth? Could I say to the nine-year-olds and the 19-year-olds here, you are worth the blood of Jesus Christ who died for you. For the person here who thinks that they have deserted God in every way and that they are the chief of sinners, you are worth the blood of Jesus who died for you. God is holy, and we're to be holy too. The third way that we see through the eyes of God is, is that we understand that God is love, and His love must be shared. Paul wanted that love of God shared in Corinth and around the world. And Paul said, who am I to judge outsiders? Isn't that amazing? You would kind of think that way. And I know everybody outside the church thinks that we're judging those who are in, outside the church. Paul says, who am I to judge outsiders? Who are you and I to judge outsiders? Lost people are going to be lost people. Lost people are going to do what lost people do. What Paul was concerned about is saved people looking, acting, acting. Living like saved people and reaching out to people in need and sharing the good news of God. You go to 2 Corinthians, you find Paul writing back to the church. They finally got around to doing what they were supposed to do. They separated this man living in immorality from the church, but the man repented. Isn't that wonderful news? The man repented. The man grieved and mourned. And what did Paul say? Open your arms to him. Welcome him back. He's your brother. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the church? God is love and he wants that love shared with other people. He wants it shared with all of us who don't deserve it. He wants it shared to a world that is in need. You've heard me talk about the the youngest generation. There are signs that a lot of those people are coming to faith in Christ. And I only say a lot of those people because I'm not one of them. A lot of those folks are coming to faith in Christ. It is good news. It is exciting news. But that generation is hurting Deeply. I read a report this week, not a Christian. Uh, commentator, but, uh, just somebody who loves the country and wants to see it do well. And it talks about the, 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 the huge amounts of violence among the youngest generation. And there they're talking about 13, 14, 15 to 25 year olds or something like that. They gave the example. You read about this. A, a young woman driving an automobile with her boyfriend and her best friend. And she deliberately speeds up to 100 miles an hour and runs straight into a wall. Kills them both, the other two, instantly. And this article talked about the anger and the grief and the anxiety in this group of people. Not Christian. What did they say? You know, the schools need to be helping students with emotional intelligence. And the schools need to be teaching character. Because the writer of the article made this judgment. What what is it that keeps, that is hurting this generation so much? And, And he rightfully said a bunch of things. Kind of like an omelet, you know, a little bit of everything in it. My words, not his, but... The eggs and the cheese in the omelet, in this omelet, is a lack of morality and moral teaching and a lack of ethical teaching. He said we need to be helping young people with character. You know who else needs help with character? All the people my age and all the people in between. And God has called us. We, you know who we are? We are the hope of the world. Why are we the hope of the world? Not because we're better, but because of the Spirit of God within us and what God is doing with the world. And it is time for you and me to be the church. It is time for you and me to see the church through God's eyes. It is time for you and me to take it seriously and urgently that we obey God and live for Him and seek to do what He wants us to do. I've always got something I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make the commitment to God. It doesn't make much difference to me or somebody else. Make a commitment to God. God, I want to I live for You. I want to serve You. I want to honor You at school, at work, at home, along the way, wherever I am. I want You to be glorified in my body, and I want to serve and honor you And when you and I do that, the world will find a whole lot of its hope, the hope that comes in Christ. So I want to pray and would you please would you take the next five minutes very seriously and pray and sing and maybe pray during the time we're singing, that we would see God at work in our midst. I want to ask you to say, God, I want to live for you. I I know that there are always people here who have not yet come to faith in Christ. Maybe you're young, maybe you're older, and you're struggling. I'm praying for you right now that you would open your heart to the Lord Jesus because, remember, He's drawing you. He's leading you. This is the way you feel, the way you do this being torn, not knowing what you ought to do. He's drawing. He's leading. And I want to pray that you would respond to him in faith. Let's pray. God, thank you for the, for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for hope. Thank you for teaching us. God, thank you for faithful people who worship you on this Sunday morning God, please bless them and bless us all. Bless these people who are praying now, God, I want to be like Jesus and I want to serve you. God, bless these people who are struggling with their response. Help them to respond in faith. Bless them as they walk to the front, talk with the pastor. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. And now is the time for you to come and respond unto the Lord.